0: Chapter 10, Volume 1 of The Mummy, A Tale of the 22nd Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sally J. The Mummy, A Tale of the 22nd Century by Jane Loudon, Volume 1, Chapter 10 we left doctor and in the last chapter uttering a very moral if not new exclamation on the vanity of human expectations which had scarcely escaped from his lips ere a cruel fate resolving not to be accused in vain supplied him yet with more abundant cause for lamentation we have before mentioned that the doctor had stumbled as he quitted the pyramids and that his friends raised him from the ground But what was his consternation and dismay, when looking around to thank them he found that he was surrounded by armed men, who commanded him in the royal name to surrender? Sadly the doctor turned his woeful eyes upon Edric, but alas, he was in the same predicament himself, and in spite of their entreaties they were marched off to prison without being at all informed of what crime they had committed. Sadly passed the night, and gloomy dawned the day upon the unfortunate travellers, whose minds were harassed and bewildered by the extraordinary success of their awful experiment, and whose misery was infinitely increased by the suspense they had to suffer, both on account of their ignorance of the crime of which they were accused, and its probable punishment if they were to be found guilty. Soon after daybreak they were conducted, as criminals before the same magistrate, the day before, who had treated him with such officious kindness, very different however was a solemn judge who clothed in an insignia of magisterial dignity now sate upon the bench from the easy good-tempered gentleman of the pyramids and the unlucky travellers saw in an instant that they were not likely to experience any favour from their previous acquaintance with him the court was thronged with people and the prisoners saw that they were regarded with curiosity mingled with horror and supernatural fear it is not agreeable to feel one's self an object of disgust to any one and though edric magnanimously and frequently repeated to himself that it was quite indifferent to him with what such ignorant wretches as egyptians thought of him yet if he would have avowed the truth he would have been quite as well content to have found himself the object of their admiration instead of their hatred and he would have been very glad to have relinquished both to have been safely at home again whilst the doctor openly and loudly lamented the much-regretted comforts of his own dear delightful study at sir ambrose's Little time, however, was allowed for reflection. For as soon as the prisoners were placed at the bar, their examination commenced. So, gentlemen," said the learned judge, "you stand convicted. No, I mean you stand accused of the most horrible, heinous, and sacrilegious offence—an offence that makes our hair start with horror from our heads and every separate lock rise upon in vengeance against you." The justice paused, that the prisoners might admire his eloquence, but alas! such was the absorbing nature of self-love that they were only thinking of what was going to be done with them and to what this terrible exordium was likely to lead after a short pause edric supposing they were expected to speak addressed the judge and begged to know of what crime they were accused we are strangers he said and gentlemen we were attracted to your country by an account of wonders that it contained we declared our purposes openly and we have effected no concealment "'We have done nothing we need to blush to avow.' "'A confused murmur ran through the court as he spoke, "'expressive of the utmost disgust and abhorrence. "'But Edric felt indignant, and he looked round proudly as he added, "'Yes, I repeat, we have done nothing need to blush to avow, "'and nothing derogatory to our characters as Englishmen and gentlemen. "'Sorcerers! Wizards! Demons in disguise!' cried the crowd. "'Down with them!' burn them guillotine them destroy them is this fair is this generous asked edric if we have done wrong let our crime be proved and we are ready to submit to any punishment you may think proper to inflict but do not condemn us unheard in england every man is deemed innocent until he is proven guilty you boast of having important and improved upon all the useful regulations of the mother country and cannot surely have omitted her most glorious law Let us then have a fair trial, and God forbid that the course of justice should be impeded. You talk well, sir, said the judge, but it is no use here. My chair, sir, is made of witch elm, and the whole court is lined with consecrated wood, so you may take your familiars to another market, for here they will avail you nothing. Good God! exclaimed Edric, wringing his hands. What ignorance! What gross superstitious! And yet in this man's power are lives oh oh said the judge who saw his despair though he would not exactly know the cause i have brought to you have i yes yes i tell you no incontaneous will be of any avail here and so clerk call the witnesses the first person examined was the man who had been left in charge of the balloon and he disposed as follows why sir he said scratching his head "'as though he might have supposed wisdom dwelt in his fingers, "'and that their touch might give little to his brain. "'Your honour told me to call you up the posse combatius, "'and set guard on the constables over the gentleman's whirligig. "'But I thought as how, seeing it was but a queer-looking thing "'and not likely to tempt anybody to steal it, "'I might as well save the gentleman from throwing their money away "'upon the parcel of idle fellows, and keep watch over it myself.' "'And so get the reward instead of them?' observed the judge." "'Why, you honour, said the fellow, grinning, "'I thought they might give me something that might do me good, "'but which would be nothing amongst so many.' "'Very true,' remarked the judge. "'Go on, Gregory.' "'Well,' continued Gregory, "'as I was sitting there thinking of nothing at all, "'and somehow I believe I have fallen into a bit of a doze. "'I heard a queer sort of buzzing sound, "'and I opened my eyes, "'and there I saw a gentleman whirligig buzzing and puffing like a steam-engine on fire, "'and I omits the smoke. "'I take my oath.' i saw the mummy the king of cheops as plain as i see his worship there sitting on this throne oh groaned the horror stricken crowd oh groaned the judge and jury yes continued the man i'll take my oath if it was the last word i had to speak that i saw him there vomiting fire and his big eyes flaring like a fiery furnace oh groaned the judge crowd and jury a degree louder than before and then resumed gregory something went whizz and off it fled altogether like a flash of lightning oh shrieked the whole court in a convulsion of horror some of the fair sex in particular screamed and covered their faces as though they feared the next exploit of the redoubtable magicians would blow up and the court and send them all flying after the resuscitated mummy with your permission sir said edric as soon as the tumult had somewhat abated this proves nothing against either my friend or myself we are in fact injured by it and we have a claim against it instead of your being able to substantiate a charge against us we left our balloon containing valuable articles and money to a considerable amount in your charge or at least to the custody of a man who you recommended and we quitted the pyramid we of course inquired for our balloon it had vanished and instead of making us amends for our loss you throw us into prison and tell us a wild extravagant story of the disappearance of our property which no man in his senses could possibly believe another confused murmur though very different in its character from the former ran through the court in a conclusion of this speech and the judge if such an expression be not profane when speaking of the representative of justice looked most excessively foolish had not your worship better call the other witnesses whispered the clerk pitying the dilemma of his principal. true true said the ligercus of anglo-egypt your observation is premature young man when in the case had been proved against you it will be time enough for you to think of your defence edric bowed assent and the examination continued the guide was the next witness well samuel said the judge what do you know about this matter why sir replied samuel you see my dame and i were sitting by the fire and we'd got a black pudding as we was going to have for our dinners and so says dame i likes it cut into slices and fried and so says i-hold it fellow cried the judge with great dignity don't abuse the patience of the court we have nothing to do with your dame or black pudding it is quite irrelevant to the matter now before us go on but samuel could not go on and like his predecessor in the witness-box, he only stood still and scratched his head. "'Why don't you speak, fellow?' asked the clerk. "'Because I don't know what to say,' replied Samuel. "'You must tell all you know about this affair,' pursued the clerk. "'But I don't know where to begin,' rejoined the perplexed witness. "'His worship says it's a "'Begin with the pyramid,' said the judge.' "'and if you can give a clear account of all that happened "'after you left the old passage by the movable block in the wall "'which was last discovered.' "'Why, I can't say there was anything very particular happen, as I know, sir,' "'said Samuel. "'After that, till we got to the shaft and then we went down, sir, "'you know, till we came to the tomb of King Cheops. "'And then I turned the gentlemen in by themselves, "'as we always does, for the fact as Parson Schnorm calls it, and then i sits me down in the vault and i wait for em and just as i rolled myself up and was dozed asleep i hear such a noise as if the pyramids were a comin' tumbling around my ears so i jumped up and I rubbed my eyes for i did not know very well where i was and i saw something that i seemed to strike the torches out of the hands of the two great sitting figures and extinguish them and then i saw a great tall figure come gliding by me and when he came up to the light i saw his great flaming eyes and when i fell upon my knees he laid hold of my shoulder and gripped it look your honour laying bare his shoulder as he spoke and showing the deeply indented marks of the bony figures of the mummy again a groan of horror and indignation ran through the court and when another witness proved that the sarcophagus of cheops had been examined and was found empty the judge seemed to think it was a clear case and called triumphantly upon edric for his defence i do not see what has been proved said edric shuddering in spite of himself can affect either my tutor or myself these people say that a mummy was revived and quitting the pyramid in which we had been so long immured has flown away with our balloon but supposing the tale be true what proof have you that we were at all implicated in the business we were in the pyramid it is true but so was this man as well whom you have brought forward as a witness against us Supposing it was the intervention of some human aid that aroused the mummy from its tomb, a fact, by the way, by no means proved, why may not he be the agent instead of us? Why is there to fix the charge against us? Have we gained anything by the adventure? Have we not, the contrary, been serious losers by it? Where is our balloon and the valuable articles contained in it? if we were wizards it must be confessed that we are very foolish ones for we have lost our property and thrown ourselves into prison and without reaping the smallest possible advantage and if we have the power you seem to attribute to us why do we have to stay here and be questioned when we might be so easily fly away in a flame of fire or turn to all the statues and walk quietly off without you being able to follow us everybody shuddered and many turned pale at this speech "'seeming to fear that Edric was about to point out his suggestions to the execution, "'whilst the judge seemed posed in the vast perplexity as what he had better determine. "'And the people were dreadfully afraid, lest they might, after all, "'lose the edifying spectacle of auto da fé for which they had been so impatiently longing. "'Edric marked the hesitation of the judge, and endeavoured to improve it to his own advantage. "'For my part,' he continued, "'I am a British subject.' and as such under the protection of my own court my sovereign has a council here and to him i make my appeal i am neither ignoble nor unknown in my own country my name is montague and i am the brother to the celebrated general of that family whose victories no doubt have reached even this remote province my dear mr montague said the judge i really beg your pardon why did you not acquaint with me sooner your dignity i dare say there is no truth in that charge only assure me upon your honour that you did not touch the mummy and that you know nothing of what has become of it at present and i will instantly order you to be set at liberty i certainly do not know what is become of it replied edric no interrupted dr Dwarfin, coming forward with the air of a determined martyr i will not suffer such equivocation I would rather perish at the stake than disavow for a moment my opinions, or betray the sacred interests of science and with which I feel I am entrusted. No, sir, my pupil cannot make the public declaration you require. I know he would not, and he cannot if he would. On the contrary, I avow the fact. We came here for the express purpose of endeavouring to resuscitate the mummy of Cheops, and I, glory and proud, thought that we have succeeded. A groan of horror yes sir i do not hesitate to avow openly that the grand object of my life for several successive years has been to detect in what consisted the strange inexplicable secret of life we live sir we die we are born and we are buried we know that time sickness or violence may kill us but who can say in what the mysterious principle of life consists various theories have been broached with which no doubt A gentleman of your intelligence and extensive information is well acquainted, and life has been successfully stated to depend upon the heart, the brain, and the circulatory of blood, and the respirations of lungs. All, however, are fallacious. The heart has been wounded, and the brain has been removed, and yet the patient has lived, whilst the operations of respiration and circulation have kept up for hours in a body from which the vital spirit has departed weighing all these and the divers of other arguments in mind it has struck me and indeed i may say that after mature deliberation i have confidently arrived at the conclusion that both the faculties in which we call life and soul depend entirely upon the nervous system do not all philosophers agree that we receive ideas merely through the medium of the senses and can our senses be operated upon otherwise through the influence of the nerves ergo the nerves alone convey the ideas and sensations of the mind or rather the nerves alone are the mind not a single instance i believe is known in which life remained after the sensorium had been destroyed or even seriously injured what then can be more simple than to suppose life resides there pursuing this idea i have long been convinced that where the nervous system remain uninjured and the appearance of death was only occasioned by a suspicion of the operation of the animal functions that life might be restored if by the intervention of any powerful agency the nervous system could be excited to reaction and that this of course could be effected where any kind of decomposition had taken place it appeared to me that the mummy was the only body in which the experiment could be tried with the least prospect of success From various circumstances, however, it has never now been in my power to realize my wishes on this head. But for a few weeks past my pupil has entertained similar longings to myself, and yesterday saw our hopes accomplished. Yes, I flatter myself, and there cannot now remain a shadow of doubt to the world, that in ordinary cases, before decomposition has taken place, resuscitation is not only possible, but probable." that the dead bodies may be easily restored to life the horror and consternation produced by this extraordinary speech amongst the anglo-egyptians who heard it far exceeded any human powers of description their terror at what they may consider as the doctor's daring impiety being considerably augmented by their not understanding above one-tenth part of what he said and when he had finished there was a dead pause in which no one dared to interrupt till a sudden gust of wind happening to blow the door open of the justice retiring-room the terrified crowd fell back aghast upon one another pale and trembling as though they absolutely expected his infernal majesty to appear before them in properia persona when tranquillity was in some degree restored the judge ordered the prisoners to be reconducted to prison after the dangerous and impious speech we have just heard said he it would be madness to trust such suspected persons at large and yet i would willingly take time to consider the case and to ascertain whether this young man be indeed the person he represents himself as i own i should be sorry to inflict the full penalty of the law upon the brother of her britannic majesty's commander-in-chief remonstrance was useless and the prisoners were again conducted to their dungeon where they were heavily chained and left to ruminate upon the calamities that had befallen them Far from agreeable were these meditations for Edric, for he was too angry with the doctor's ill-timed candour to be inclined to speak, and the doctor was too much ashamed of the effect already produced by his eloquence to wish to make any farther display of it. At length his eyes became accustomed to the faint glimmering light emitted into the dungeon. He perceived the wall to which he was chained and covered it was with hieroglyphics, and endeavoured to divert his jargon by examining them i congratulate you sir said edric when he perceived this feeling rather indignant at this tutor's coolness i congratulate you most sincerely upon your philosophy and most earnestly do i wish that i could imitate it oh edric said the doctor all men are not equally gifted with the either the art of making blunders or forgetting them said edric pointedly these hieroglyphics are very curious observed the doctor who had his own reasons for not wishing to pursue the subject. See how beautifully the ancient Egyptians worked in granite. The fine polish they contrived to give this hard substance would be perfectly astonishing, if we did not recollect that they always edged their tools with emerald dust. Humph, said Eric, in a tone which seemed to imply, and what does it matter to me if they did? The doctor, however, was abashed and continued. You see, as usual, the figure of the bull is frequently repeated here, this wall is evidently built of stones gathered from some ancient ruin by the way edric i don't think i've ever explained to you why the ancient egyptians chose a bull as one of their deities or rather as their principal one you know that anciently the year began in taurus though by the precision of equinox it has now advanced past ares well as the ancient egyptians found that the sun began its career in taurus what could be more natural than that they should identify a bull with the verifying principle the same theory may account for that legend of the chaldeans which supposes the world to have been produced by a bull striking chaos with his horn which horn by the way was probably the origin of the fable amathea or the horn of plenty edric made no reply and the doctor dreading a pause which might give his pupil an opportunity of abrading him went on Though the Egyptians had a number of divinities, they clearly worshipped only two viz, the principles of good and evil. Osiris and Isis, Neph, Fath, Horus, and all of their hosts of inferior deities, were clearly types of the first, and light of life were their essence, whilst Typhon, Kamsa, and the malignant deities exemplified the second, and their attributes were invariably darkness and death for heaven's sake cried edric say no more upon the subject for it is not in the power of language to describe the horror that i have at mere thought of anything with egyptian let us escape from this fearful country and i most sincerely hope nothing may ever happen to recall even its recollection to my imagination such and so changeable are the desires of human life said the doctor but a few short weeks since Egypt was a goal of your wishes, and the prospect of reanimating a corpse. Oh, no, do not mention it, cried Edric, shuddering. Oh, God, how justly I am punished by the very fulfillment of my unhallowed hopes. Even now the fearful eyes of that hideous mummy seem to glare upon me, and even now I feel the grip of its horrid bony fingers on my arm. Oh, yes, no doubt, exclaimed the doctor. He pinched hard. He was a king, and kings should have strong arms, you know. "'For God's sake, do not jest upon such a subject,' returned Edric. "'A subject so wild and fearful that I can scarcely believe "'but all that which has passed is such a dream.' "'If it be,' said the doctor, "'it is one from which I freely avow I should be very happy to awake, "'for I must confess this prison is not at all to my taste.' "'And yet it is not your fault?' began Edric. "'Recrimination, Edric, is always folly,' interrupted the doctor." who did not feel very proud of the part he had acted before the magistrate, nor very anxious to have alluded to. And instead of losing time in regretting past errors, it is part of a wise man to endeavor to find means of remitting them and avoiding them in the future. Agreed, returned Edric. And as I presume you are now convinced that you learned dissertation on the probable seat of human life was, to say the least, ill times. We will drop the subject. But even if we get out of prison, what is to become of us? Our money and valuables were all in that balloon, and here we are in a foreign country, entirely destitute. Not entirely, Edric. Not entirely, cried the doctor, a glow of satisfaction spreading itself over his face. Oh, no, no, I have guarded against that. Ah, what a thing it is to have foresight. Well. Some persons are certainly singularly gifted in that line, and it is a happy thing for you that you have somebody to think for you. See here, displaying the things as he spoke: here is a bed, bolster, and pillows, ready for inflation. A portable bedstead: linen, soap, pens, ink, paper, candle, fire, knives, forks, spoons, and money, all snugly packed up in my walking stick. Your supporter, returned Edric, smiling. "'as you used to call it, and now so it seems, "'likely to prove in more senses than one. "'Yes, yes!' cried the doctor. "'Only let us get out of prison, and all the rest will be easy. "'But that only, doctor. "'Of that we must take time to consider. "'Well, it is some comfort that we are likely to be allowed enough time, "'as my hint respecting the British counsel "'did not seem thrown away upon the judge. "'Oh, doctor, if you did not speak out,' why surely you would have not given him the declaration he required there was no occasion he neither wished nor expected more than i had already said and after i had mentioned of my family he only wished a decent pretext for setting us at liberty at any rate said the doctor by way of changing the subject you see my doctrine is proved completely by the resuscitation of the mummy for it must have been perfectly restored to life and consciousness or it could not have flown away in our balloon for my part returned edric i can scarcely believe what has occurred to be real yet there must be some deception and yet by whom can a deception have been practised and for what purpose in short i am quite bewildered the doctor being much in the same condition could only sympathize with his people and in this state we must leave them whilst we inquire respecting the mysterious object of their speculations the mummy thus strangely recalled to life was indeed Cheops, and horrible were the sensations that throbbed through every nerve as returning to consciousness brought with it all the pangs of his former existence and renewed circulation thrilled through every vein his first impulse was to quit the tomb in which he had been so long immured and to seek again the regains of light and day instinct seemed to guide him to this for as yet a mist hung over his faculties and ideas thronged in painful confusion through his head, which he was incapable of either arranging or analyzing. When, however, he reached the plain, light and air seemed to revive him and restore his scattered senses. Gazing wildly around, he explained, Where am I? What is this place? Methinks all seems wondrous, new and strange. Where is my father? And where... Oh, where is my arsono? Alas, alas, he continued wildly. I had forgotten. I had hoped it was a dream, a fearful dream, for methinks I have been long asleep. Was it indeed reality? Are all, all gone? And was that hideous scene true? Those horrors which still haunt my memory like a ghastly vision? Speak! "'Speak!' continued he, his voice rising in thrilling energy as he spoke. "'Speak! Let me hear the sound of another's voice, before my brain is lost in madness. I have entered Hades, or am I still on earth? Yes, yes it is earth, for there is the mighty pyramid that I caused to be erected towers behind me. Yet where is Memphis? Where my forts and palaces?' "'What a dark, smoky mass of building now surrounds me! "'Can this be the once proud queen of cities? "'I see no palaces, no temples. "'Memphis is fallen. "'The mighty barrier that protect her splendor from the waste of waters "'must have been swept away by the enroaching inroads of the swelling Nile.' "'But is this the Nile?' he continued, "'looking wildly upon the river. "'Sure I must be deceived. "'It is the fatal river of the dead.' No papyrine boats glide smoothly on its surface, but strange infernal vessels vomiting forth volumes of fire and smoke. Holy Osiris, defend me! Where am I? Where have I been? A misty veil seems thrown upon the face of nature. Awake! Awake! he cried with a scream of agony. Set me free! I did not mean to slay him. Then throwing himself violently upon the ground, he lay for some moments, apparently insensible. Then slowly rising, he looked at himself, and in deep, unnatural shuddering convulsed his whole frame. His sensation of identity became confused, and he recoiled with horror from himself. "'These are the trappings of a mummy,' murmured he in a hollow whisper. "'Am I then dead?' The next instant, however, he broke into a wild laugh of derision. Poor feeble wretch, he cried. What do I fear? Need I tremble? In whose bosom dwells everlasting fire? Let me rather rejoice. I cannot be more wretched. Why should I dread a change? I welcome it with transport, and I dare my future fate. At this moment the car of the balloon caught his eye. Ah, what is that? he cried. I am summoned. "'Tis the boat of Hecate, ready for me to ferry across the Merian Lake, to learn my final doom. "'I come! I come! I fear no judgment! My hell is here!' And striking his bosom, he leaped into the car, and stamped violently against its sides. At this instant Gregory awoke, and his terror was not surprising. The dry, distorted features of the mummy looked yet more hideous than before— when animated by human passions, and his deep hollow voice, speaking in a language he did not understand, fell heavily upon his ear, like the groans of fiends. Gregory tried to scream, but he could not utter a sound. He attempted to fly, but his feet seemed nailed to the spot on which he stood, and he remained with his eyes fixed upon the mummy, gasping for breath, with the cold sweat distilled from every pore. In the meantime, Chops had stumbled over the box containing the apparatus for making the inflammable air, and striking it violently, he had unintentionally set the machinery in motion. The pipes, tubes, and bellows instantly began to work, and the Indian rubber bottle became gradually inflated, till it swelled to an enormous magnitude and fluttered into the air like an imprisoned bird, beating itself against the massive walls to which it was still attached. "'Still it goes not!' cried Chops again stamping impatiently the quicksilver vapour bottle had fallen beneath his feet and it broke as he trod upon it the vapour burst from it and it was inconceivable violence, and tearing the balloon from its fastenings sent it off through the air like an arrow darting from a bow end of chapter ten volume one the mummy